We're back with the Daily American. Just kicking off part two of this four-part special featuring Mr. Clay Novak. Clay, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, man. This is great. Absolutely. So, you know, episode one, we went over your childhood. You came from a blue-collar family outside, out in the woods a lot, shooting with your family. Long bloodline of service in the military. Joined the National Guard. Ended up uh, as an enlisted soldier. Picked up a lot of, you know, humility, I would say, as an enlisted soldier. And then went ahead and got commissioned as an officer. And you we find find yourself at your first duty station at Fort Riley, Kansas. Kick us off there. Yeah, so, um, you know, Fort Riley was, uh, like I said last episode, was a great place to learn, um, you know, both personally and professionally. Um, so I had uh, – I met my wife out there on a blind date. Um, I was uh, living with a buddy of mine, another lieutenant, and uh, he was – his girlfriend, who is now his wife um, – was really tired of me dragging him out because Fort Riley, Kansas is uh, right outside of Manhattan, which is a college town, Kansas State University is there. So for a couple of uh, 23-ish year olds with a full-time income, it was a great place to be. Um, <laughs> so so she didn't like me taking him out every weekend. So she she set me up on a blind date with, uh, with the woman that is now my wife. Um, so we dated, uh, you know, most of the time that I was there. Um, and then, you know, eventually got married, uh, in between duty stations. So left Fort Riley, Kansas, went back down to Fort Benning, Georgia for some, some more schooling in preparation to be a captain. Um, and, and was bound to determine that I really wanted to go to the 101st at Fort Campbell. Um, didn't really know why, but that's where I wanted to go. And while I was down there, uh, an officer pulled me aside, a guy that I'd known for a while and said, no, you need to go to the 82nd. And I was like, why? And he goes, trust me, you need to go to the 82nd. So luckily, um, that's where they sent me. So got married between Fort Benning and Fort Bragg, um, and then went to Fort Bragg. And, you know, the 82nd Airborne Division is a special place. Um, it's very near and dear to my heart. I spent a long time there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing about that place is you've got an entire culture of people who jump out of planes for a living. Uh, the whole installation when I was there as a young man, that's what everybody does. And and just to do that uh, is a special thing. Uh, but uh, to do it at night with, you know, 100 pounds worth of gear on with a thousand of your closest friends uh, is pretty amazing. So um, got to Fort Bragg and it was very, very different from Fort Riley. The operational tempo of that place is unbelievable. Even then, pre 9-11, we're constantly moving. They keep, uh, they keep a unit on two hour recall. Uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, somebody's on a very short string. So no matter what you're doing, um, you, you, you've got to be ready to go. Your bags are packed, you know, and it goes on a rotation. So you, back then you would spend weeks at a time, three, four, five weeks at a time uh, on recall, and then it would rotate to another unit. But Clay, what year is this? So we got there in 99. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I did my penance as a staff officer, as, as young officers tend to do. So I was the logistics officer for a battalion, didn't know anything about logistics when I got there uh, and uh, was just waiting for my chance to go command an infantry company, which is what I was, you know, that's what I was sent there to do. And so, so I did my penance and eventually I went to what was truthfully the most impactful 11 days uh, of my army career, I would say. And that was, I went to jump master school. Uh, so 
what you learn there is not only how to inspect parachutes, but how to put people out of perfectly good airplanes. And the bottom line is um, that is a job and a skill that if you screw that up, somebody dies. And that's the, it, that's the bottom line. Somebody's going to get seriously injured or potentially get killed if you don't do your job correctly. So attention to detail, focus, um, learning to do things the right way becomes paramount in everything that you do because the consequences are dire. So um, I graduated Jumpmaster School uh, and that afforded me the opportunity to command an, a, a, an infantry company in the 82nd Airborne Division. Because if you don't graduate Jumpmaster School, very much like graduating Ranger School, but at the 82nd, if you don't graduate Jumpmaster School, you don't get to command a company. That's just the way that, that things are. So I graduated and um, I took command of uh, a really, really great group of guys. Uh, it was Bravo Company, 3rd Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, Bravo 3505. Shout out to all the boys um, and, uh, and really a great group of folks. Um, and I took command in February 2001. And, you know, we were training, training all the time because that's what you do there, jumping out of planes a lot. We walked a lot. Um, if you talk to any of the guys who are in that unit, they will remember road marching a lot. Uh, and, uh, and then 9-11 happened. And I will never forget that day because I came in, you know, on the East Coast. It was still fairly early in the morning. I had gotten done with PT and uh, was still all sweaty. And my operations sergeant came into my office and he goes, Sir, you're not going to believe this. I was like, what? His name was Sergeant Pupolo. So, of course, being in the Army, he had the nickname Poopy. And uh, so he said, uh, somebody just crashed a plane in the World Trade Center. So in my head, I'm thinking like a Cessna, right? Like a small plane. Because he, all he said was a plane. He didn't say an airline or he just said a plane. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it's the craziest thing. I was like, that's weird. So I kept doing what I was doing. He walked out of my office and he came back in a little while later. He goes, and, I, and I'm not kidding. Uh, he said, well, first he said, uh, they got it on the TV out there. And I was like, okay. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, somebody window camera, something like that. But he came back in. He goes, they did it again. That's what he said. They specifically. I'll never forget it. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, they, they, they crashed a plane into the other tower. And I was like, no, no, no. You got to be thinking it's like a different you know, camera viewer. He goes, no, sir. He goes, it, they did it again. It's a second tower. Uh, so I went into the day room where it was on the TV and I knew something bad was going on. Now my daughter was two weeks old at the time. So I called my wife and I said, Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on. And we were, we were on recall at the time. Um, but I told her, I said, I don't know what's going on, but I don't know when I'm coming home. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, listen, do you have enough diapers? Do you have enough formula? Do you have enough, all that stuff for the baby? And she goes, yes. And I said, okay, don't leave the house. I said, I don't know what's going on, but better safe than sorry. She goes, okay. I said, I'll call you when I can. So um, we put some things in action and, you know, and eventually, obviously we, we didn't go anywhere that day. Um, but that mindset kicked in that the world had changed and it was immediate for us because we were on recall and in our head we were going and we were going that night. We didn't know where we were going. <laughs> we didn't know what we were going to do, but we were going somewhere. Um, and of course we didn't, what we ended up doing was securing Fort Bragg, um, locked down all the gates and, and, and secured a bunch of, you know, schools and, you know, water purification plant and some other stuff there, ammunition dump and all that. Um, and we didn't go home for like four days. 
Um, and then somebody else rotated in and took over for us. But my company was, we guarded Fort Bragg, 9-11, 9-12, 9-13, 9-14, I think. And then we handed it off to one of the other companies. Um, but uh, we knew it was different. We knew something was different. Um, and that team that I was on at that time, I would put up against any, and I'm not just talking about my company. My company was great. Um, I would tell you it was the best company, but there's other company commanders that would argue. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. But, uh, but that team that I was on, the third brigade, the 82nd was amazing. Um, our brigade commander retired as a three star, uh, battalion commander retired as a one star. Um, all five of us company commanders that were captains that day, um, all got selected for Colonel. Uh, we produced so many sergeants, major, so many, um, you know, senior enlisted guys out of that battalion, the talent level there. And it was all luck. You know, we, we trained a lot of good folks, but it just happened that there was just a pool of really, really talented people all in the same place at the same time. And really where that benefited us was a couple of months, a few months later when they decided that, you know, we were going to send the 82nd was going to send a brigade to Afghanistan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we got picked to go. Uh, my brigade commander specifically got picked and our battalion specifically got picked to be the first battalion from the 82nd to go in Afghanistan. And that was June of 2002. So um, the 101st had already gone in. Special operations guys had all gone in there and, you know, done done what they do uh, very well. Um, and then the 101st and some Marines went in there. And so we went in to replace the guys from the 101st. Um, but uh, that team was amazing. Uh, my brothers to this day, love them to death. We're still all in contact. It's a very tight group of folks. Um, but we went there, you know, bef- we were home before Iraq even started in 2003. We were there from June to December of 2002. Um, Afghanistan was relatively quiet at the time. Um, you know, the special operations guys and even the 101st was, they, they had done some really, really good work. Um, and it was fairly quiet. We got to see a lot of the transition. We got to see women take burkas off. We got to see, um, you know, girls go to school. We got to see those kinds of things in the earliest days. And again, this is 2002. Um, you know, and then we came back and then Iraq kicked off. Um, you know, I transitioned, I left the 82nd, it broke my heart to go, but, you know, career progression, kind of normal stuff in the army. Um, went back to Kansas. I worked at a school, uh, for strategic planners. I didn't do anything there. I mean, I wasn't, I, I was just that guy who ran day-to-day operations. <laughs> um, but, but I did that. And then, um, and then I went to staff college as a major. I got selected for May promotion to major. And I went to a one-year college that, you know, all majors go to in the army in Fort, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And then I went to Korea. I wanted to go back to the 82nd. It's what I wanted to do most. And, uh, but I got sent to Korea and if you've never been to Korea, it's an amazing place. Um, I enjoyed my year there. It really was uh, a lot of fun, um, but there was a war going on. And, and you know, in my mind, that's where I needed to be. I'd been once already, um, which a lot of folks at that point in time, this is 2000, what, 2006. Um, a lot of folks hadn't been to the war yet, even still. Um, and I knew I had been already once and I, I needed to go back. Um, and it wasn't anything more than just, that's where I felt I needed to be. You know, I was an army officer, I was an infantry officer. So, um, I did my year in Korea, um, and immediately went to Iraq. And when I say immediately, 
I got off a plane. I knew we were going, you know, I was going back to the 82nd. I got my wish. Um, I was going back to my old brigade, back to the third brigade. Um, so I was extremely happy. Um, they were in Northern Iraq at the time and, uh, I was going to be the plans officer, which, you know, again, some more penance time as a staff guy. And, uh, I got off the plane from Korea and I had an email waiting for me that said, we need you to get to Fort Bragg immediately because you have to go to Iraq. So I'd spent a year unaccompanied, my, no family. Um, my son, my son was, uh, three months old when I left. So 15 months old when I got home, um, you know, I miss a lot of my kids' childhood as a lot of us did. Uh, my daughter, like I said, she was born two weeks before 9-11. She was nine months old when I left for Afghanistan, 15 months old when I got back. Um, but I had to get to Fort Bragg because they needed me in Iraq for whatever reason. So literally packed up the family, drove to Fort Bragg, found the first house um, that we could find that would you know suit the family, unpacked everything, and I got on a plane and I went to northern Iraq. I was home less than 45 days. I was a year of Korea home for 45 days. And I went to Northern Iraq for four months, three, three months. And then I came back, um, because that was the end of the deployment. Um, and they needed me in Northern Iraq because unfortunately, um, somebody had gotten fired, uh, for whatever reason, and they needed me to backfill. Okay, fine. So I packed up and I went to Iraq. It's what I wanted, right? I mean, I, you know, want to be back in the war. So I got back in the war and, uh, home for a year. I went from being the brigade plans officer and I went down to Second battalion of the 505th, two Panther, um, where I was the operations officer, and we were going to Baghdad. So, again, on a hot training cycle, spent a year at home, and then packed up and went to Baghdad. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Dan. You know, you and I were in Iraq about the same time. We went, uh, we went to Baghdad December of 2008 and stayed until November of 2009. Um, some pretty important stuff happened, you know, in that year. Um, you know, the level of violence went down significantly. Um, the security agreement got signed. You know, Americans were restricted in their movements. They didn't want Americans running around during the daytime, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we spent the first six months over there. I mean, we were hitting targets at night. We were still running raids. And um, and I was the operations officer. And admittedly, um, I got bored sometimes. I'd go out with our scout platoon on raids and things like that just to get out and go do what I truthfully wanted to be doing, which was, you know, going and making a difference going and, you know, unfortunately the violence of what we did. I mean, that's what I felt like I needed to be doing. Second six months, I was the executive officer, which is much less fun. Um, so I spent the second six months in Baghdad, um, kind of running the staff for the battalion. Um, and again, another great group of folks. Um, you know, I worked for a great battalion commander who was a high energy guy, um, the guy who was my, my first sergeant when I was a captain was the battalion sergeant major, a guy named Herb Kirkover, who I loved to death. He was one of my instructors in ranger school. Um, just a huge part of my development and upbringing as an officer, love Herb to death. Um, but it was, you know, it was my, it was my home. Um, and it was a great unit. And then we came home from Baghdad and, uh, we were only home a couple of months and I had to turn around. And I had to leave again. Seven months later, I turned around. and I went to Kabul uh, for a 13 month deployment to be an aide for a three star general. And, you know, I'd been on three, you know, one year long combat deployment, one three month deployment, one six month deployment, spent a year in Korea. 
And now I was going to turn around and be the aide for a three-star. And I will tell you that in all of the jobs that I had in the army, the 25 years I was in the army, that 13 months in Kabul was the most taxing job I was ever in. We worked 20 hour days, seven days a week for 13 months. Um, my, the three-star that I worked for who retired as a four-star guy named David Rodriguez, um, amazing, amazing leader. Uh, he had an energy level that could not be replicated. And I mean, this guy was, you know, he was in his fifties. Didn't matter. He'd catch a second wind at midnight or at one o'clock in the morning. And we'd be there, you know, until whenever he decided he was going to go to bed. Um, and then I'd have to, you know, we'd, the, the office folks, we'd have to stay there afterwards, you know, kind of straighten things up. And then we'd have to be back in the office before he got there. It's the life of an aide. But, you know, three days a week, it was traveling all over Afghanistan. Um, I got to see every corner of Afghanistan. It was amazing. Um, flying a C-130 out west to see the Marines out in the southwest in Herat, places like that. Um, down, back down to Kandahar, where I had spent my time as a captain. And in the east in Paktia, Paktika. Um Bagram Airfield, all those places. I got to travel all over the place. Um, and truthfully learned a lot from him and, and a lot of other folks in that headquarters. Um, it was, it was a great experience, but it was, it wore me out. I mean, physically I got home from 13 months of that and I was smoked like nothing else I'd ever been through. How old were you at the time, Clay? Uh, so that was what, 2010, 11. So I was, what, uh, 37, 37, four deployments. I mean, you pretty much completely tabbed out with all the schools you've been in, um, enlisted to officer. You guys make sure you tune in next week, next Wednesday, 9 a.m. for part three of this four part special with Mr. Clay Novak. Clay, look forward to having you back. Thanks, Dan. Can't wait.